It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to wall. Wall, measure, deal, gets open for three. Hey guys, welcome to the Locked On Wizards Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Troy Halliburton. And on the other line, I have a very special guest, uh, the Washington Wizards beat reporter for NBC Sports Washington, uh, Mr. Chase Hughes. Chase, how are you doing today, man? Doing good, Troy. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. If, uh, I'm glad that you took the time to come on. Uh, I know that you're getting ready to go on vacation for the rest of the week. So, you know, we, we, we really, uh, cut it close and I'm, I'm glad you took the time to, to come on and, and talk about some Washington Wizards basketball during the dog days of summer here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like the, uh, the offseason finally started just a little while ago. It took a little bit longer. They had to hire a GM, but you know, here we are. It's the, actually the offseason for the Wizards. Exactly, but you know they hired the GM and they hired you know twenty other people too. So you know, Miami Middle <laughs> Basketball is growing by the day, and that, yeah, I think that's that, that's probably a good thing, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I have been surprised with how many hires. Um, you know, there's been some that I didn't even notice at first, and I kind of read the press release again. It's like, oh, LaRon Profit is a scout. I remember him when he played for Maryland, and of course the Wizards. <laughs> so they, it's amazing. You know, they they didn't fire that many people. They fired Ernie Grunfeld. Um, Maz tracks no longer with the the coaching staff, but they brought in by my count ten new people. So even though they are bringing in, bring keeping a, a lot of holdovers from the previous um, administration, they're still bringing in a lot of uh, new blood. So I think Wizards fans would probably appreciate that because obviously people out there wanted some change. Exactly, exactly. And uh, one of, one of the holdovers though is the head coach, head coach Scott Brooks. And so we're going to spend today's podcast. You know, just kind of going over reviewing not only Scott Brooks last year, but his whole tenure as the Wizards head coach, and then like try to preview what what he can potentially bring to the team as far as uh, a player developer and trying to get the uh, the team back to the promised land of, of at least making it to the playoffs and hopefully getting to the Eastern Conference Finals one day. But uh, you, I feel like you would be the perfect person to sit back and talk about it since you know you're being the uh, the beat reporter for NBC Sports Washington. So I wanted to start about what, what do you remember about uh, the, the kind of conversations that were going around when uh, the Wizards uh, hired, when they first hired Scott Brooks, and I believe that uh, Ernie Grunfeld uh, only interviewed one candidate, which was Brooks. So they, they, they kind of keyed in on him. But uh, let's, let's talk about, uh, from your recollection, the, the coverage that was dealing around the hiring of Scott Brooks. Yeah, it seemed like he was the favorite all along, that they had zeroed in on him. 
And uh, I think it's because he fit the profile of what they were looking for. You know, it kind of reminded me there were some parallels to when they fired um, Eddie Jordan. Just like Eddie Jordan, I think Randy Whitman didn't do really enough that represented grounds for firing. Like, Bradley Beal had an injury. I think he missed 27 games in that 2015-16 season. And they still went 41-41, and which is pretty good. I think in most years in the Eastern Conference, that would make the playoffs. But they wanted someone who they felt could get them over the hump in the playoffs because Randy Whitman's Wizards could only get to that second round and couldn't get past them. And they wanted to kind of modernize their offense. And so they brought in uh, Scott Brooks, who I think – um, you know, was obviously a much higher paid head coach, someone with the winning experience that they could point to. And, you know, at the time, I think it has to be mentioned, someone who had a history with Kevin Durant uh, going into an office where they still had dreams and aspirations of, of signing him. Uh, I don't think we'll ever know exactly how much that factored in, uh, but certainly it was, it was a, uh, some dots that people could connect. And Scott Brooks came in, uh, I think, with a pretty strong track record of winning in the playoffs. We all wondered when they hired him, you know, how much was that success uh, due to the fact that Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, and those guys were actually playing on the floor. And I think we've learned a lot more about Scott Brooks as a head coach, what he's capable of while coaching the Wizards without that level of talent with certainly a lot more adversity in terms of, uh, you know, player injuries and and roster uh, changes over these past three years where the Wizards, when he took them over, had very high expectations, and now have kind of entered a new phase in their franchise. Right. Yeah, and I think you hit on some of the, some of the key points where you're talking about what they what was appealing to the Wizards organization in Scott Brooks. And you know, he had a, a great track record of uh, of winning in the playoffs. He took the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder to the NBA Finals in 2012. But I think uh, the the reputation that I think that Brooks had around the league coming from OKC was that he was great at player development. So, you know, when you talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder teams that, you know, they drafted Durant in 07, Russell Westbrook in 08, and James Harden in 09, and we're talking about three league MVPs that were drafted in three consecutive years. You know, I don't think that you'll ever see a, you know, player development standpoint from that, like, in, in, in uh, probably pro sports history going forward. I don't think you'll ever see anything like that. So how, how much of, you know, do you think that those guys' success early on uh, can be attributed to Scott Brooks? And do you think that the reputation of him being a good uh, player developer was warranted coming in? Well, yeah, it was those guys, but it was also, I think, what was impressive was some of the later picks. Uh, you know, Serge Ibaka was a late first-round pick. Uh, Steven Adams, I think, was the 10th pick or something like that. Um, and uh, Reggie Jackson was a late first-round pick. So, it was just a, lo- a long history of the Oklahoma City Thunder making draft picks count, um, which definitely reflected well on Scott Brooks. And, you know, I-, I gave him a lot of credit for it at the time when the Wizards hired him. I think I may, in hindsight, have overstated it a little bit. I do think he is, in general, a good, um, you know, a good player uh, development coach. But I think in hindsight it's been proven that those guys just had generational talent in terms of Harden, <laughs> Durant, and Westbrook that, you know, whether he was there or not, like he deserves credit for it, but whether he, it wasn't like, you know, he, he could turn anyone into those guys. Um, but player development, I do think in general, is a very important part of being an NBA head coach. Um, and they have a lot of control over it. It might be the thing that they have the most control over because they can dole out minutes early on. And I think whether a guy plays too much or too little uh, factors into their development. 
And I just think, in general, NBA head coaches have so little control over the X's and O's because it's such a free-flowing game. There's so, there's so much less structure than there is in the NFL and Major League Baseball and even the NHL that I think where coaches make their money, where the best coaches kind of differentiate themselves, is certainly there's some X's and O's stuff with, you know, schemes and ATOs and, and different plays that they draw. But I think a lot of it is long-term player development and also kind of the management of egos, which is always uh, a big factor in the NBA. So I, I think he had a basically a pristine record of player development in Oklahoma City that we've seen some of that here, but there's certainly been some surprises uh, with how he's handled some of his young players. And I think overall it's been a mixed bag in terms of player development in Washington. Yeah, I definitely think that it's been a mixed bag as far as the player development is concerned. And I think that uh, one, of, well, one of the things that uh, Scott Brooks definitely does bring to the table is that, you know, he's a quote-unquote player's coach, though. So because, you know, he's a former NBA player, he's an NBA champion with the Houston Rockets. So, you know, he understands the lingo. He understands how to deal with players. So I think that, that that is definitely one of the things that I can say that would probably differentiate from, I mean, even though Randy Whitman was a, a former NBA player himself, it always seemed that um, Whitman kind of butted heads with uh, some of the players on the Wizards roster, and he was never really able to, to, to communicate on a level that would uh, lead to the, the best possible working environment. Whereas I think Scott Brooks has done a good job of, you know, kind of trying to mend relationships. And, you know, we, we, we're going to talk about this later on. Last year, you know, the, the wheels kind of fell off a little bit. But, I mean, I, I think overall, though, he has done a good job of, you know, trying to mend relationships and, you know, uh, kind of manage egos. But let, let's talk about uh, Brooks's first year as the Wizards head coach. So that would be the, the 2016-2017 season. And, you know, the team, the team started out, they struggled – uh, early on in the season, I think a part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, uh, Ernie Grunfeld went out and made a lot of free agent acquisitions and, uh, in that summer of 20, 2016. And none of those acquisitions really kind of panned out the, the way that anybody envisioned. So, you know, they had Jan Mahimi, who, was, for all intents and purposes, was the premier acquisition of that summer. He, he got the big money, the four-year, $64 million contract. And but he was hurt, you know, coming into that season, so that he was never really able to be integrated into the team. Uh, Andrew Nicholson was another free agent acquisition who um, who played a lot at the beginning of the season until Scott Brooks kind of realized, uh, you know, towards December that you know that that really wasn't going to work anymore. And then uh, uh, Mar Marcus Thornton, I believe, was also uh, signed that off season. So really, we're talking about you know, three guys uh, who were coming into the team who really didn't contribute at all that first season. So it took Brooks a little while to kind of get the Wizards going. But the team eventually did, uh, you know, get on a little bit of a hot streak. Uh, and I believe in the, in the second half of the year they went on, uh, what was it, a 17-game home winning streak uh, in, in, the, uh, in January and February of 2017. So can you talk about his first year and what you remember from, you know, being on the beat, going to all the games, and how the team struggled early on, but, you know, kind of got into a groove where, you know, it, quiet as it's kept, they were one of the hottest teams uh, in the NBA heading into the 2017 playoffs. Yeah, I mean, by some measures, it was the best season that they had since the, the 1970s. You know, they fell one win short of 50 wins, but they could have gotten there if they hadn't rested I think it was Wall and Beal in that final game. Uh, and they haven't won 50 games since 1979. So to get to 49 was a pretty big accomplishment for this franchise. 
Um, it was a fun year. You know, they started slow. You mentioned some of the, the free agent signings. Also, you know, John Wall was coming off some surgeries in the offseason, had to play himself into shape, also wasn't playing, you know, both games of back-to-backs. But once they found their groove, uh, I mean, they were playing at a, a ridiculous level. I mean, uh, for about half a season worth, season's worth of games, I think it was from December, you know, into March, uh, they had the best offense in the Eastern Conference. They were putting up offensive rating numbers that rivaled the Warriors at the time. And uh, it was a fun year. You know, they won a division, which doesn't really mean anything in the NBA these days. You know, they just added it to a banner that was already existing in, in their arena. It wasn't like they, you know, made a big deal about it. But it had been 38 years since the Wizards had won a division. And I remember when it happened, uh, it was the longest streak in all of sports. So no team in baseball, the NFL, or NHL had waited that long. And also if you included the MLS, and WNBA, basically every professional sports league in the United States, uh, the Wizards had waited longer than any other team to win a division championship, 38 years. So it had been a long time. And, you know, the more I think about that year in hindsight, I think it was really just a best-case scenario in terms of health. You know, their starting lineup basically stayed healthy the entire season. Uh, John Wall, Bradley Beal kicked their, I guess, previous injury histories where they couldn't stay healthy, and all of a sudden they did. You know, Marquis Morris had a career year. Martin Gortat uh, was still kind of in his prime and obviously always kind of stayed healthy when he was in Washington. And, you know, everything just went well in terms of health. And I think what happened with the Wizards, and Otto Porter, of course, also had an injury history that he kind of bucked uh, that season. I think in hindsight, the Wizards should have been more proactive in knowing what they had and realizing that that was a complete best-case scenario and that it was probably, you know, a little bit um, deceptive in terms of how good that team actually was because you can't count on 100% health basically for an entire season. And the very next year you saw what happened when a few injuries would take their toll. And I think what the Wizards did is, they didn't get a proper read on what they had on their roster. And then you contrast that with the Boston Celtics, the team that beat them in the playoffs, in Game 7 of that second round, which was also the first, furthest the Wizards had been since the 70s. That Celtics team kind of knew what they had. They knew what their ceiling was, and they ripped up their team. And I think they've been in, a, in better shape since, uh, in part because of that. And the Wizards have been paying for going into that 2017 offseason after that year, thinking they were much better than they actually were. Yeah, no, I, I think I completely agree with that. I think that uh, there was a little bit of a mis-evaluation as far as the talent that they had on the roster. That uh, you know, they they probably had a bit of a window there in 2017, and you know, they really didn't take advantage of it like they should have. I know that they did make one uh, big trade during that season where they traded Andrew Nicholson's contract and a first-round draft pick uh, to the Brooklyn Nets, and that brought back uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. Who 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 was he had an up and down uh, tenure as a wizard. Um, he he came in and he played well for those first two weeks. He was very hot, and then he kind of cooled off for a little bit. And so I think that by him cooling off heading into the playoffs, it kind of uh, hindered uh, Scott Brooks's ability to trust him and throwing him out there in different lineups. And so whereas you know the team really had a little bit of a window there, but because they didn't really put the foot on the gas like they were supposed to, you know, it, it seems like an opportunity blown. But let, let, let's just get right into it, though. Let's talk about the, uh, the 2017 playoffs. Um, first, you know, they, they kind of took, uh, took light work of Atlanta. That, 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 was, that was for all – it was a six-game series, but for all intents and purposes, 
you know, they, they, they pretty much took care of business in that series. But going into that Boston Celtics series, I felt like that there were some things that Scott Brooks could have done to, that would have given the team a better opportunity to win. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you remember about the 2017 playoffs, and more specifically uh, Scott Brooks and his rotations uh, during that playoff series? Well, I think what happens with a lot of NBA teams is the rotation kind of tightens uh, in the playoffs, especially as the playoffs go on, and that's what we saw with the Wizards and their bench. You know, by that game seven, you really got to see who Scott Brooks trusted and who he didn't, and he didn't trust that many guys. You know, he, he went away from Kelly Oubre basically entirely, went away from Thomas Sadoransky. Um, you know, I looked up the box score ahead of this podcast, and Boyan Bogdanovich only played 16 minutes in that game. And I think the kind of lasting image all of us have from that series is just how tired John Wall was down the stretch of that game. He lost his legs. He, he couldn't make shots. He couldn't play defense. Um, you know, there were some quotes that we saw coming out of the Celtics locker room after that game that, you know, they could tell that, that John's legs were shaking when he was on the bench. And I think that's uh, attributed to the fact that they had to play him such, so many minutes now, it was game seven, and, you know, it's do or die, and you're, going, try, you're trying to get to the conference finals for the first time since the 70s. So, you know, you can understand why they would want to tighten their rotation, but they, they should have also realized that John Wall wasn't the same guy when he was that tired, um, and it really cost them. And, you know, when it comes to Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, his tenure in Washington is so fascinating to evaluate because they gave up a first-round pick that ended up conveying – to be Jared Allen for the Brooklyn Nets, who is already a really good player and already the type of player that any team, especially the Wizards, would love to have, like a smart, athletic, shot-blocking big man who's only like 21 years old. So that makes that trade look, look badly. But if they had kept him, I think that trade could have been justified over time because they didn't really get all that they could have out of Boyan Bogdanovich. Like he was good while he was here, but you're absolutely right that he went cold at times and they didn't really know how to use them when that happened. You know, I always kind of saw him as the guy that if he wasn't shooting threes, if he wasn't making his threes, then, you know, he didn't really provide value in other ways. But then we saw what he did in Indiana. He left and signed for about 10 or $11 million a year and completely exceeded that contract. And I think in hindsight, if you were the Wizards and you got a proper read on what your team was in the summer of 2017, you probably should have re-signed him for that money if you could have re-signed him for that. You know, he was a restricted free agent, so you had his rights, and let Otto Porter go because they, go, they signed Otto Porter to a max contract, and, you know, Otto Porter's a fantastic player, but what Boyan ended up giving the Pacers for about 40% of the cost was something you'd sign up for over what they had to pay Otto Porter, and Otto Porter um, continued to play well for the Wizards but didn't get better to the point where he justified having that contract within the context of their salary cap you kind of wonder looking back, and I know there's people inside that building that wonder, you know, if they had re-signed Otto and, or Boyan instead of Otto, uh, where would the team be now? Because Boyan not only went to Indiana and proved he could be a number two scoring option, but when Victor Oladipo went down, he proved he could be a number one scoring option for extended stretches of time. And I think the Wizards letting him go makes that trade obviously a net loss because it was a first-round pick, but it could have been a net win if they kept him. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, the Boyan trade, it definitely shows, uh, I think, that they misevaluated what, the he, what he could bring to the table. And I think they, they probably also misevaluated uh, what, what Otto Porter would be bringing to the team. And so, you know, I, or, or I think that there was, um, 
Otto Porter never really was able to reach who he was as who he could become as a wizard. You know, he's like the quintessential, you know, three and D player. And but in, in reality, they wizards needed a little bit more from Otto Porter during his tenure there. Whereas Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, he kind of established himself as, you know, a secondary playmaker, which was something that the Wizards could have, uh, you know, used, greatly used in that Boston Celtics series. You know, what, one of the reasons that John was, what his legs were so shot in that, in that uh, game seven was the fact that I mean, he literally had the ball in his hands for the majority of the game. And if, if, he, if they could have just, you know, given him some spells where they allow another player to, you know, come in and kind of uh, run some secondary playmaking action, you know, I think that that would have been uh, much more beneficial for, you know, not only that particular series, but for the Wizards uh, in the long run. So, you know, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And, you know, the, the Wizards, you know, they, they still had a lot of talent, you know, coming off of that Boston Celtics series. And so, uh, you know, they, they signed Otto Porter to that max contract extension, as you mentioned, so and, and there was a there there were expectations. The expectations were high coming into the 2017-18 season, and that's probably why that makes the how they played uh, even more disappointing. Um, let, let, let's talk about um, the 2017-18 season and some of the things besides you know John Wall's injury. Uh, you know he had to have surgery in the middle of the season. He missed 41 games. He came back right before the playoffs. But I mean the the team was kind of you know off track a little bit even before John got hurt. So why, why do you think that uh, the team kind of struggled coming into that 17-18 uh, season? And uh, how culpable or how much uh, hands-on experience do you think that Scott Brooks uh, had at the time, and do you think that he could have done more to get more out of that group? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. You know, I, I think it all started that season with Marquise Morris getting injured. Uh, you know, I think that it was announced in early September that he'd had sports hernia surgery and also had his uh, surgery on his groin. So he came into that season not as the same player that we saw the year before. And, you know, he was kind of one of the most important players on that 2016-17 team. You know, he was in shape. Uh, he was hitting threes. He was running the floor really well. Uh, he had solved he had solved a longstanding problem guarding stretch fours. You know, I thought he did really good job, a really good job against some, uh, some really tough uh, shooting big men. Um, but yeah. that season, that season he he was hurt going in and never really got into shape and never really got his shooting percentages where the Wizards needed him to be. Um, was too much of a per perimeter oriented player. wasn't getting rebounds. wasn't playing the defense they were used to. I think that really screwed them up. And obviously John Wall missing half the season. But the fact that three games and were you know well by five hundred for extended stretches and the way they played once John Wall went down. Um, for a significant period of time. All that reflected well on Scott Brooks, but there were some things along the way that made you wonder if they had figured this out a little bit earlier, what would have happened? Could they have won more than 43 games? And I think, you know, as Thomas Sadoransky, uh, you know, not really getting the job until John got hurt, um, I think was a bit of an indictment on Scott Brooks because he had shown so many flashes throughout that season that it seems pretty obvious he should have been the backup point guard, the primary backup point guard. And he was still kind of fighting for minutes, even even though it looked like he was certainly, um, at the very least, a competent rotation NBA player. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that without any question, um, you know, anybody who watches the, those Wizards games from that year would would have said that Thomas Adarenski should have been playing in front of Tim Frazier. Like it, it's, I mean, 
if, if you know, the scouts' eye, the numbers tell you, like, I mean, there were, you know, a multitude of reasons as to why that he should have made that move a lot sooner than what he did. And so I think that, you know, that, that might be an indictment on something with, with Scott Brooks's uh, coaching style, the fact that, you know, he was, he's shown to be a, a, a little apprehensive uh, to play younger players. Uh, and, you know, he has that kind of like that old-school mentality where, you know, if, if a guy like Tim Frazier, you know, Tim Frazier didn't necessarily do anything to lose his job, but, I mean, he wasn't, he definitely wasn't doing anything to, to keep the job and earn the minutes <laughs> that he was being given. Give you no, being given. not at all. <laughs> so, at all. Yeah, I think that, um, and I think that that is one criticism that I think um, a lot of people have of Scott Brooks. It's one that I might have of Scott Brooks is the fact that, you know, he's a little bit too rigid with his a little bit decision making as a coach. So he, you know he he makes the the he he makes the change a little bit um, you know behind the curve instead of in front of the curve. And you know in in the NBA when you when you come to find out that you know the margin of error is so small, like you have to be on top of making those decisions in a timely fashion. And I think that so not only did you know, it affects the Wizards' on-court product by not playing Thomas Adoransky early on in that season. But we're going to get into this. As the season progressed, it actually affected things off of the court because, you know, going after, you know, the everybody eats Wizards and, and Bradley Bill, you know, he's the one who coined that term. And, you know, I think that that was uh, – it was really looking at the fact that, you know, the team was – the ball was moving when Sadoransky was in the game. There, there were, you know, a lot more passes per possession – for, for the Wizards, and, you know, they were scoring more. Like, they were just much more efficient as a team. And so, really, out of nowhere, uh, uh, the team brought in Ty Lawson from China, who didn't play that season in the NBA. He was in China, and then they brought him in and gave him Thomas Sadoransky's playoff minutes. So what, what, what do you remember from, from that era, from the Wizards, you know, heading into the playoffs after the Everybody Eats, uh, uh, you know, run that they went on? John coming back right before the playoffs, and then Thomas uh, ended up not being in the rotation in the 2018 playoffs against the Raptors. I remember it being one of the more bizarre moves uh, this franchise has made since I've been covering the team because um, they already had a ton of point guards on the roster. I think they had Ramon Sessions at the time too, right? Yeah. Um, Thomas Adoransky had emerged, um, and then here they bring in Ty Lawson, who hadn't even been in the NBA. He'd been in China. And they brought him in and immediately gave him minutes. Now, ironically, he actually played pretty well in that series. I remember him coming in and knocking down some shots and being like, wow, okay, they actually found a contributor. But clearly he must have known very little about the offense. And incorporating him at that time uh, was just really, really strange. Um, you know, it, I think, was emblematic of Sadoransky's tenure here, that the Wizards, or at least Scott Brooks, never seemed to fully trust him. And I think it's part of why, you know, Thomas was happy to, to look elsewhere in free agency and was pleased when the Wizards didn't match the contract that was extended by the Chicago Bulls because he really wanted a fresh start elsewhere. And, you know, it really started very early on. Uh, 2016-17 was Sadoransky's rookie season, but he had come over from playing years and years as a pro in Europe. And, you know, for some good European teams where he was the starter, where he was a you know, one of the leading scorers, and I think he knew that he could help the Wizards when he came here in 2016-17, and he wasn't given the opportunity. And that very early on, you know, kind of created uh, some friction between him and Scott Brooks, and I think it was just really frustrating 
over time for Thomas Adoransky to know that he was playing well. Everyone could kind of see that he was playing well, um, but a guy would come back from injury or, you know, something, he'd have one bad game and all of a sudden he'd be out of the rotation. And it just seemed like it happened over and over. And that, even though it wasn't obviously the very end of his tenure, he had another year in Washington before he left. Uh, it seemed like picking Ty Lawson at that moment to put over him was kind of the final straw. And it was also, you know, a reminder that all along throughout his tenure, really until the very end in Washington, the Wizards wanted Thomas Adaransky to play other positions. He had always been a point guard, always felt like that was the best place he could play. But there was always this kind of struggle between the coaching staff and him to make him uh, a guy who can play point, who, a guy who could play shooting guard and small forward. So, you know, I can tell you behind the scenes, there were definitely some members of the coaching staff that wanted Sadoransky to play more. There were other members of the coaching staff that liked other players, but ultimately Scott Brooks, you know, went in other directions um, and didn't play Sato, even uh, when, obviously, to a lot of us, it seemed like that Sadoransky had earned the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, you, you very accurately describe uh, not only uh, you know, how you felt, but obviously, you know, talking to people within the organization and, and around the organization that, you know, that uh, some people felt the same exact way, that Thomas should have, you know, uh, been given more of an opportunity, especially at least given a lot more leeway from, uh, you know, when he got into the game. I feel like for a lot of the time that he was here, he was kind of walking on eggshells a little bit. And so that he felt like every time that he made a mistake, you know, he was always, he knew that, you know, Scott Brooks would kind of take him out. So um, I think, you know, that the, the, the Saturansky, uh, the relationship between he and Brooks, that, that was really just one aspect of, you know, uh, Scott Brooks as being a head coach and dealing with players. But uh, let, let, let's talk about fast forward into the 2018-19 season when we talk about how the Wizards, you know, again, they were coming in with high expectations. And, you know, some, maybe some of those ex expectations were a little bit higher than they should have been because, you know, the players were doing a lot of talking uh, instead of letting their play do the talk for them. But, you know, coming into the 2018-19 season, like the, the team had expectations of, you know, getting back into the playoffs and, you know, hopefully reaching the, you know, conference semifinals and hopefully the conference finals. But, you know, that two, the last season, I mean, that – I feel like, uh, when, you know, when, when at media day when we all found out that Dwight Howard had a back injury and that he wasn't going to be, you know, participating for the first couple of weeks, you know, it, it just seemed like this, that, that, that train never really got on the track. So can you talk about what you remember from Scott Brooks dealing with, you know, the, the, uh, pretty much turmoil for the entirety of last season and, you know, there was a lot of stuff coming out about, you know, the locker rooms and contentious practices and, you know, just, just a lot of drama coming out of the Wizards organization early on last season. How do you think that Scott Brooks handled all of that? And, or, or do you think that he, he as the leader of the team, uh, should have been able to kind of, uh, you know, put out a little bit of those fires before it kind of got unhinged? Well, you're absolutely right that it kind of all goes back to media day. Uh, similar to the year before, a major injury to the starting lineup entering training camp uh, greatly affected things. This time it was Dwight Howard with the back injury. And it just seems so stupid in hindsight, if you recall, being there on media day where how kind of like flippant uh, Dwight Howard was about the injury, saying, oh, you know, it was uh, my back cramped up because I was yeah, China. Yeah, China. Yeah, that was oh, weird. It's no, it's no <laughs> big deal. It's day to day. You know, oh, I won't miss preseason games. I'll be back to start the regular season. It just like, 
it's just, I don't know, it's, it, it makes the whole situation look even worse. It was like they didn't really understand how severe the injury was, and then it ultimately required, like, serious back surgery, like the same back surgery that, you know, disrupted his career earlier on, like six years ago or whatever. So in hindsight, that all was just made, I don't know, it just made them look so bad, Dwight Howard in particular, uh, because that injury just screwed up everything for them. You know, he was replacing Marcin Gortai, who's supposed to be their main rebounder, their main rim protector, their main screen setter. And those are basically the three things they had the biggest trouble with this whole season. You know, they couldn't defend the rim, and when they did get stops, they couldn't get rebounds rebound to complete exactly. those stops. So that was really a disaster. And then you throw in John Wall's injury, you throw in the fact they made so many trades, they, they dressed a franchise record, 25 different players this past season. There were a lot of things that were outside of Scott Brooks' control that kind of have to be factored in. Uh, it was not an easy season for him to coach. And there are some successes you could point to, like the development of Thomas Bryant, even though that was another move that seemed to come a little bit later than we all thought it should have. You know, he gave Thomas Bryant the opportunity to have a breakout season, and I think he deserves some success there. But especially towards the end and all along the way, there were definitely some times where it seemed like the Wizards were underachieving. And, you know, late in the season, I know it was a bunch of guys who had been thrown together uh, after a series of trades and free agent signings, but, you know, they had the talent to play better than they were playing. You know, if you've got Trevor Ariza and Jeff Green um, you know, Thomas Bryant was emerging, Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis, uh, Sadoransky, obviously Bradley Beal. All those guys together, uh, there were still a lot of games that they lost that it felt like they should win. So that didn't reflect very well on him. Um, you know, in such a poor Eastern Conference, they still couldn't make the playoffs. They still only won 32 games. Um, so, And the defense. The fact that their defense was basically the worst it's ever been, uh, based on defensive rating and points allowed, it was – you know, towards the bottom of the league with the Atlanta Hawks and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Overall, uh, Scott Brooks, I think, deserves some blame for what happened last season, just like a lot of the players do, just like a lot of the people in the front office do. Um, and it seems like if you had a, a coach who was really top-tier, 1% type coach that can, you know, take a team to the playoffs no matter what is happening, that would be the type of year where you could kind of demonstrate that and separate yourself from your peers. So I think Scott Brooks would even admit it wasn't his best year um, and a lot of those fires you mentioned he, he could have put out, some of the stuff that got public that happened at practices, even though I think that stuff happens a lot more than we think. You know, it wasn't even the craziest NBA practice this past season. That goes to the Minnesota Timberwolves and what happened with Jimmy <laughs> Butler. But it still didn't reflect very well on him having, you know, star players and young players alike, you know, have public blow-ups with him, whether it be during a game or during practice, things that was that were made public. It, it, it certainly wasn't a good year for books, and I would imagine he's going to be looking for much better results coming into 2019-20. Yeah, I think so. This is a point where I can say I'll actually try to defend uh, Brooks in, in, in one sense. I would say that he was definitely handcuffed by a lot of the free agent acquisitions of Ernie Grunfeld. So, you know, I mean, and at the end of the day, like I said, he, he still has to – he's the coach, and he has to play – you know, these guys, and he has to, you know, realize, he has to pull a quick trigger when he's realizing that, all right, some of these guys really aren't uh, contributing how, you know, they, they envision, and that, you know, he should have been making switches to some of the younger players and developing some of our other players uh, a little bit quicker. But, I mean, I definitely think that he was handcuffed by a lot of the players that uh, Ernie Grunfeld was bringing in. So then when you look at, you know, a situation from last season, how you have – 
you know, uh, you know the, the, the season went off the rails, you know, fairly early on in the year. And, you know, they were still making trades and making, you know, acquisitions, and they're trying to make the playoffs. When you look at, like, a guy like uh, Troy Brown Jr., who only played less than 600 minutes last year as a rookie, whereas, you know, he's playing guys like, you know, Sam Decker and Ron Baker and, you know, <laughs> guys that are literally not in the NBA anymore. They're both yeah. in Russia, both those guys. Exactly, exactly. So I think that, but but then when you but when you look at it, you know, like I said, he does he deserves some blame for not uh, pulling the trigger and and switching from those players a little bit earlier on. But we have to take into consideration, looking at it in a vacuum, that I mean, Ernie Grunfeld knew the writing was on the wall. He's trying to save his job, so he's going out. You know, uh, this classic, my guy, uh, uh, my guy, Kyle Weida, Mister Truth About It himself. He has a a a. a, a a term that he likes to use as a proven veteran. Well, that's what Ernie used to use in all of his uh, emails, the PR emails that go out. <laughs> you know, the Wizards, they added such and such. He's a proven veteran. He's going to come in and help us. You know, in reality, none of those guys ended up really being, being able to contribute. So do, do you think that it's fair to say that a lot of the things that were going on last season had to do with Scott Brooks being kind of hang, handcuffed to you know the the, the players that uh, Ernie Grunfeld is bringing to the table. It's like you know he's trying to make a meal, but you know he doesn't really have all the ingredients that he needs. So uh, what, how how what, how was your feeling about you know the players that uh, Ernie was bringing in and how uh, Scott Brooks decided to you know kind of uh, delve out the minutes. By the way, when it comes to uh, Ernie Grunfeld quotes in uh, press releases, my favorite was from this past season when they got uh, Wesley Johnson in the trade with, I think it was the New Orleans Pelicans. And one of the selling points was former first-round pick. It had been like nine years. (laughs) He was like 31 years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was a first-round pick, but he was like, you know, obviously didn't live up to be a fourth overall pick or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wesley Johnson's got like five kids. That's a grown man. Right, right, exactly. Um, But, yeah, I mean, last year certainly the Wizards were kind of beholden to this mantra that they had to make the playoffs. And, you know, in hindsight, clearly they're – you know, Ernie Grunfeld's job was tied to that. Ted Leonsis said, I want to make the playoffs. And as soon as they didn't make the playoffs, it was soon after that that he fired Ernie Grunfeld. So that was definitely, you know, factored into the thinking for everybody, including Scott Brooks, who, you know, may have assumed at one point or another that his future was tied to Ernie Grunfeld, who hired him. You know, I'm sure Scott Brooks, once, you know, things started really going downhill, worried about his own job this season because he didn't know that, you know, the Wizards would get rid of Bernie Grumfeld but would still keep Tommy Shepard and, and still keep Scott Brooks and allow him to just rework his staff and try to go into year four, um, you know, doing it different, doing it with a different team, but uh, with a different roster but the same team. So certainly that was part of it. Um, the Troy Brown Jr. thing remains very, you know, confusing. Um, certainly the guy isn't, you know, a fully developed product at this point. Uh, he's not a very good shooter. You know, it needs to get better uh, defensively. But especially when they were bringing in guys on 10-day contracts and just players that looked like they were fringe NBA players like Ron Baker and Sam Decker and John Jenkins and a lot of these guys, Gary Payton, the uh, second, uh, some of these guys they brought in. Um, and Troy Brown, like Sadoransky before him, had shown some flashes where you're like, this guy should at least be playing 15 minutes a night, yet another few weeks or months would pass where he wasn't getting those opportunities. And he'd play a couple games, and he'd look good, and then he'd be banished out of the rotation, and sometimes even in the G League for extended stretches. It was it was really confusing, and 
You know, one thing that I've heard from a lot of Wizards fans this summer, because you know, I've been at some Wizards events, and you know, I like talking to fans and kind of getting a read on what they're thinking. And a lot of people express, you know, I guess doubt about how this season will go, because on one hand, it could be, you know, pretty fun to watch a lot of young players develop. You know, you've got Will Wagner, uh, Admiral Schofield, all these guys who were recently picked in the first and second round, but a lot of people are expressing doubt. You know, Will Scott Brooks actually play these guys because last year, even when it seemed obvious that Troy Brown was champion, he didn't. And this year, the way the roster's constructed, it seems like he'll have no choice but to play some of these younger players. How long will we be? Brooks doesn't trust young players as, as much as I think a lot of us thought he would based on his tenure in Oklahoma City. Now, uh, as we've kind of discussed, in hindsight, those guys were so talented in Oklahoma City that you could justify playing them. There is, you know, Troy Brown Jr. is not at this point in his, in his career where Kevin Durant was, certainly. Um, but this year, you would like to see Troy Brown Jr. get a lot of minutes, Rory Hachimura. Um, I think Thomas Bryant's placed in the rotation of state based on what happened last year. But there's a lot of young guys who I think could stand from playing a good amount this year. But uh, with what we've seen from Scott Brooks in recent years, there's no guarantees for that. Yeah, and that leads us into uh, the final thing that we'll talk about today is what what do you think the future of Scott Brooks as the Wizards head coach is? Like, do do you foresee him finishing out the you know the rest of his contract? Um, do you think that because I mean you know we 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 talked about this a little bit earlier you know with the monumental basketball hirings, but you have uh, Tommy Shepard who's coming in as a general manager, and I know that he was on the staff when Ernie Grunfeld hired uh, Scott Brooks. But, you know, he technically didn't hire Scott Brooks. So, you know, there, there, there could be a sense that, you know, if things aren't going well, that, you know, that, that Scott Brooks could eventually end up being the fall guy. But, I mean, I think that Tommy and Scott have a great relationship, and I think that that will probably be the last resort that Tommy Shepard would want to do. But I think that it, it really comes down to, uh, you know, how the team will actually perform on the court and, you know, even more so than beyond just how they perform on the court, it's like how Scott Brooks is able to kind of manage all of these things that we're talking about. Is he playing the younger players? Are they developing? You know, is there a scenario where maybe the Wizards don't even win a lot of games next year, but everybody can kind of see that, you know, he's galvanizing the group and that, you know, the, the trajectory arrow is, be, is going to be pointing up. Um, what, what do you think is going to ultimately happen with uh, Scott Brooks for the rest of his Wizards tenure? And, and do you think that, you know, he, he, he can kind of, you know, galvanize the group and, and, and make a, a one more effort? Well, you know, this stuff is, is relatively cyclical, so we can kind of see what's happened in the past. And, you know, I, I kind of compared Eddie Jordan leaving for uh, Flip Saunders to similar to Randy Whitman leaving for Scott Brooks. So what happened to Flip Saunders is, you know, the the – franchise kind of entered a different stage that didn't really match up with him, so they ended up parting ways. Sometimes it can be a coach gets fired, but sometimes, you know, there's mutual agreements to part ways. Like Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta was clearly a much better coach than the roster they were handing him, so they decided to part ways, and he left and, and coached in Milwaukee. And, and was coach of the year last year. And was coach <laughs> of the year. So you wonder if those thoughts will enter Scott Brooks's mind. You know, maybe he'll look at his age or he's at in his career and say, hey, my reputation's still pretty good. Maybe I can go join a, a winning team. But uh, right now it looks like he's going to stick at least through this season. He's got two years left on his deal. He's worth uh, $7 million. So that's a lot of money if you're paying a guy to oversee a rebuilding team. 
or I guess they don't want to call it a rebuild, a retooling team, a resetting team, you know, a team that they maybe will take one step back this year and then hope to take two steps forward next, you know, is he going to stick around for that? Because he'll be then going into the final year of his contract and, you know, lame duck coaching contracts never uh, generally work out. I think never. If he, yeah, if he wants to stick around in Washington, um, I think it is possible, you know, through this new phase, through this kind of retooling phase, because, you know, you saw Doc Rivers sort of do that uh, in Los Angeles. You know, they traded away Chris Paul and, and DeAndre Jordan and uh, Blake Griffin, and he stuck around. And, you know, the turnaround for them, uh, they didn't really need to turn things around. They still won 48 games and are now, you know, looking like title contenders. But maybe Rick Carlisle is even – a more extreme example, obviously, he coached the Mavericks to an NBA championship and then stuck around for a rebuild, and now they're a team on the rise. Uh, so they're, they're kind of more and more giving him a roster that can match you know, what he's capable of as a coach. Alvin Gentry is kind of sticking around in New Orleans, even though they're a franchise entering a new phase. So it can happen, um, but Scott Brooks, you know, he's going to have to embrace this new role of his, and his role is basically a teacher now. The player development skills are being put to the test more than ever for him because it's been a long time since he had a, a roster like this. Really, you have to go back to his first full season coaching in Oklahoma City where he had taken over for P.J. Carlissimo. And, uh, you know, before the Thunder became a team that was in the conference finals every year, you know, they were a team of young draft picks that he had to kind of build a culture with. So, uh, you know, at the press conference last month when Tommy Shepard was introduced after getting promoted as GM, he said something that stuck out, stood out to me, and that is that Scott Brooks, he thinks he'll be reinvigor- re- reinvigorated by this, that he'll embrace the challenge of, of teaching young players. But ultimately, this is a guy who's used to going on deep playoff runs, you know, as a player and as a coach. He's used to, you know, being on the biggest stage. Um, he's won a ring as a player, and he's coached in the finals uh, as a head coach. So, you wonder if those thoughts will enter his mind, but I do think that what Tommy Shepard said will be true because I think there were a lot of moments last year where it was tough for a head coach where he had all these injuries and he had all these, in some cases, overpaid players and guys who had become really complacent in the NBA and didn't really give a full effort in practice and in shoot-around and in games and on defense and going after rebounds and stuff like that. So I think if he can... If he has a, a roster full of coachable players that he can mold, guys that listen, guys that try hard, I think given what happened last year, that could be refreshing for him. But long term, we'll see if the Wizards can kind of match up with his goals. It's almost similar to um, Bradley Beal. Obviously, Bradley Beal's a more extreme example, but he's become such a good player and such an accomplished player that you wonder if the Wizards' timeline to contend matches up with his own personal timeline to contend and whether both sides will have to part ways because of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I believe that, you know, this this season will be very telling for, you know, as you said, not only Scott Brooks, but for Bradley Bill and, you know, for the Wizards organization as a whole to, you know, kind of figure out what the next steps will be in this retooling process. So, you know, if, if Scott Brooks is able to come out and, you know, show that, you know, he can develop the talent and, you know, he's able to play uh, Rui some and he's able to play Avril Schofield maybe and, you know, he's able to continue to develop Thomas Bryant – I believe that, you know, that there could be a scenario in which, uh, you know, Bradley Bill will want to stay and he'll, and he'll be, you know, reinvigorated by the, the things that are going on. So I, mean, I think that, like, it, it really boils down to how he's able to develop the, the Wizards younger players. So, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, you're, you're confident in Troy Brown and in Rui. 
And, you know, it, it's just going to be very interesting to see, uh, you know, how uh, Scott Brooks is able to handle uh, next season. But, you know, Chase, I, I greatly appreciate you coming on, man. You, you brought the goods as I knew that you would, man. <laughs> hey, man, I, I want to give you an opportunity right now to, uh, you know, plug your work and let the people know where they can find you. And, and if you have any, like, big stories or something that you're working on, you can go ahead and, and you know, you plug that stuff too. <laughs> Well, yeah, you can find my stuff at uh, NBCSportsWashington.com and uh, the My Teams app. Download the My Teams app. That'll make my bosses happy. That's where you can find all my work, all uh, you know, my colleagues' work on the Redskins, Caps, Nationals, uh, all the teams in town. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and, and download that. Yeah, man, I greatly appreciate it. And you know what, Chase? You know, you're, since you're my guy, every time I see you, I always ask you one question. I want to ask you this right now on the air. What you listening to, Chase? Well, I uh, I finally smartened up and listened to you and some other people I know and, and checked out the Whitey and Corday album, and it is great. Uh, it is fantastic. It's awesome. He's from Waldorf, Maryland. Um, but also, uh, I've been really into uh, Young Thug, that album that he that he came out with. Uh, just about every song on it's good. So yeah, yeah. Those those two guys have been dominating uh, my my title account these days. I'm glad you finally smartened up, man. The YBN, YBN Corday, man. He hopefully uh, we need to go ahead and talk to some uh, wizard people that need to get him down there for their uh, their Friday night concert series. And he's, oh, uh, awesome. know, he's, from, he's from the area, you know. We hey, we can pull some strings, try to make that happen, man. But yeah, <laughs> YBN Corday, he's a he's a young lyricist. He reminds me a lot of a young J Cole. So I'm glad that I, I gave you a recommendation and and you actually liked it. So and now and now we're recommending it for for all the people out there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's yeah, I think uh, you know next to Wale, he might be one of the best uh, rappers I've heard of uh, from from this area, at least in a while. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's uh, it, it's really not saying a lot. There are a lot of rappers out of DC, but hey, I'm sure he'll take it though. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Chase, and uh, you know, go ahead and enjoy yourself on this vacation. We got about a hot six weeks before we'll have to be back down there for media day, and the circus will start again. Yeah, hopefully, no major injuries this time on media day. I mean, well, we already had uh, CJ Miles just had surgery uh, on the trip <laughs> a week after. So I mean, we've we've already missed that boat. <laughs> All right, man. Chase. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.